Hello and welcome to Your Strategy Implemented, hosted by Scarback Associates, the podcast where we meet with individuals from all walks of life to discuss their extraordinary paths to success. My name is Rebecca Stevens, and the topic of conversation today is planning, an important component of project management, and honestly, the one that the more impulsive amongst us might like to brush over rather quickly. But that would be a mistake, because it is the planning of the project that is the differentiating factor between success and failure. The message is, stop rushing to start and take time at this important stage of the project management cycle. So today I'd like to welcome our guests, Wendy Sell, Senior Press Officer at the Ministry of Defence, and Steve Jones, Planning and Expeditions Manager of a company called Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions, otherwise known as ALE. ALE, for those of you who might not have come across the company, is the go-to company if you want to do anything in Antarctica, whether that be climb a mountain, hang out with the emperor penguins, or, as in Wendy's case, walk to the South Pole. So, as well as Wendy's day job, in the Antarctic summer of 2019-20, Wendy trekked solo, unsupported, that's important, and unassisted, some 720 miles on skis from the Antarctic coast to the South Pole in a stunning 42 days, 16 hours and 23 minutes. One of only seven women in the world to have accomplished this feat. The relationship between our two guests, Wendy and Steve, is that while Wendy was doing, she was the one with the project to complete. Steve, on behalf of ALE, was enabling this project in terms of the flight to the continent and overseeing logistics on the ground. Ailey holds a huge responsibility for people's safety and what is, as we know, the coldest, read most dangerous continent in the world. So Steve was there from very early on, should Wendy have any questions on training and preparation. It was important for both of them that she should be safe and to ensure this as far as possible, Ailey required Wendy to reach certain standards in training and preparation before even she was permitted on the plane to Antarctica. And then once on the ice, Steve kept a watchful eye on her progress every ski step of the way via satellite. So there's nobody other than Wendy's expedition manager, Louis Reed, perhaps, more of him in a moment, I'm sure, who has a deeper understanding of Wendy's progress and extraordinary performance on the ice. I'd just like to add in parenthesis that Scarbeck Associates sponsored Wendy on her endeavour, which is why we're privileged to have her as a guest today. Wendy, we're here to talk about planning. But just to give us some context, how did all this begin? So it started six years ago now when I met a team that did a traverse of Antarctica. I got to know them and never really had any idea that polar travel was something people still did. I couldn't probably have told you who Scott and Shackleton were and why they were important. Um, I had absolutely no idea about any of it. But as I did more um, training with them and eventually took on their, the role of their expedition manager, I became more and more drawn into this quite extraordinary place. And the more I found out about it and the more I found out about the expedition side and just what a challenge it was, uh, that became something that I started to think, actually, is it possible for someone like me who had no experience? I couldn't even ski. I had no money. I had no time. You know, how long and, and how possible is it for someone completely ordinary to do something extraordinary? That is amazing. So, I mean, just to re-emphasize the point that you 
have never actually skied or camped on snow or anything <laughs> like that at all. Okay, um, which which gives us all hope, you know, that we, we can do that. And it really starts with a dream and, and a vision, which is really important. Um, I have to say, I know that one of the hardest bit of any expedition um, is the finance. And I'd like to start there because I think there's a very important message for so many people in your story about that and raising the funds. And a conversation you had actually with a mutual friend of ours, a mountaineer called Roger Mir. Would you like to share that with us? So I think this is probably the first time that Steve has heard this story. So I had this, I had this grand idea and um, I wanted to do a pioneer a new route in Antarctica. And I had a whole group of people who were interested in coming. I had a, 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 someone who had spent time in Antarctica. I had a doctor, I had a photographer, um, but I had absolutely no money whatsoever. And when I took it to people, it just didn't, it wasn't making any headway in terms of fundraising. And I, I had no money. I had to get all my money through grants or sponsorship from corporates. And I went to see Roger and Gazala Mir up in the Peak District. And uh, it's quite a long way from Salisbury. So um, Gonzalo and I have been out to do something else. And I started talking to Roger at the end of the day about, you know, I'm feeling quite sort of dejected. I can't, I can't see a point where I'm ever going to have the money to do this. You know, I'm not getting anywhere. What do I do? And he said, do you know what? Why, why do you want to go to Antarctica? And I was like, well, you know, the science. And he's like, no, no, no why is this important to you? Tell me, you know, be honest. And I said, do you know what? This is just something I'm obsessed about. I can't, I can't, you know, stop thinking about it. This is something that's really important to me from a point of view of personal challenge. And he said, do you know what? Just make it about that, you know, make it authentic. And after that, it just kind of all fell into place. So I think that, that being authentic to your um, motivations is really, really important for, um, you know, when, when you're talking to people, selling something, um, you know, being passionate about something, being being true to yourself is really, really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I would really endorse that. I think that that why, the purpose of any project is such a motivator and that authenticity. I mean, if you could put it the other way, people sniff out fakeness immediately. <laughs> They're not going to follow that. It's not going to inspire them. So so being true to yourself was, was really critical. And as you said, unlocked um, the whole thing in a way. I mean, without the money, it wouldn't have happened and people recognize that in you. And I think that's, that's a really beautiful story. Um, also the immersion, the granularity, the dedication you put into the training. Can you just touch on that a bit? The training was, um, so it, it sort of had, it's, it had a few peaks and troughs between the sort of long build up of skiing across Greenland, going to Iceland and doing some solo training. But then it all had to come together and, and peak when I was at the start line of the South Pole journey. And I had the help of a coach called John Fern and I was his guinea pig. And um, we did all sorts of crazy things. But I was so I was training six days a week, twice a day. And there would be a, a, a long tyre haul, which is instead of pulling a pulp because there's not much snow in the UK. So tyre hauling is the sort of... <laughs> Uh, approved way of, of, of building that endurance yeah. and then uh, there would be a core session you know I'd be trying to do planks in between cooking dinner and things on my kitchen floor so a couple of sessions a day um, and that that started almost exactly a year before I was due to set out but it worked from a strength point of view and also from the point of view of doing things that you don't probably want to do very much like lying in rivers or getting up at five o'clock uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable and it all it all did kind of come together at the at the right moment yeah 
Yeah, I'm listening to you there. I mean, you're, you brush up very, you know, smoothly and um, you're very self-effacing. But for any of us, you know, who might say, I couldn't possibly do this, you know, I've got a job and a family. Um, just to remind people, you have a full-time job and four kids. <laughs> and I can just picture you sort of doing press-ups in the kitchen and things. I mean, if we want to do this, we can, but it takes commitment. It takes real commitment, doesn't it? Um, I mean, Steve, if I may ask at this, this point, um, there are a couple of things here because, you know, if anybody knows about planning in Antarctica, it's you. Could you just tell me how many expeditions actually that you have overseen and planned and actually done yourself? Uh, yes, I've been on, I think it's heading for 50 personal expeditions or Antarctic summer seasons. Wow. And I've been directly involved in the planning of more than 70% of any expedition ever that skied to the South Pole. Goodness, I, I mean, I don't quite is. know how you fit that into your years on the planet. That is extraordinary. Um, so with that experience, uh, just a couple of things that you might add. Uh, I mean, one, you know, things are changing. They are changing fast. But, you know, historically, we think of burly men doing this sort of thing and perhaps not using their full capacity, to be fair, and just using kind of heart and strength to mm. push through the pain. Um, you know, Wendy doesn't fit that model at all. She's a light female. Um, and planning in relation to, to one's size and capability, I think, is a really important point, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and also the, 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 the British cultural tradition we have of polar expeditioning, mm. you know, a lot of the, the imagery and the books and the, and the stories we have in Britain or in English language are about suffering. Yeah. And, and they're not about... It framing a, a polar polar journey in terms of an in, endurance or elite sport, and then not framed in in terms of having any fun or enjoying it. Um, yeah, it's all about all about suffering and safe return, doubtful, <laughs> and and that and, and people have got to unlearn all of that. Or in, in perhaps in Wendy's case, it was an it was an advantage she didn't know all of that to start with, perhaps. Um, but absolutely, it, this is a, a modern polar journey is is about. Is project management, lots and lots of very, very detailed planning and difficult decisions yes. and the, the, with consequences. And one of the challenges is you're making loads of decisions about what you're going to take. Um, as Wendy said, you're getting lots of information. Mm. And if you get some of that wrong, you're making hundreds of decisions at a stage where some of those decisions are going to have terminal consequences, not on your life, as they would have done 100 years ago, but on whether you're going to succeed or fail. Yes. And... Yes. You've got and and Wendy and and did a, you know did a really good job of sitting down and analysing what was needed mm. and realising that saving weight and going with a light sled with, with enough food, but but not yes. too much because too much food means you're not hungry and you don't lose weight. But your sled is so heavy, you 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 slow down and every yes. and you need more food because you're going to be travelling slow yes. every day. And there's really interesting trade-offs between security safety and you know and, and effectively speed speed of travel which yes. uh which make yes. this you know make, i think make you had seven really points difficult. didn't you which which i'd really like to run through actually <clears throat> um so the, the first one was you know whether you go um a solo uh or with a team and we know that um that that wendy chose to go solo which does make it tremendously much more difficult if you'd like just like to tell us about that yeah it it, it makes it it makes it changes the risk management you're yes. you're more you're the risks of suffering from hypothermia 
from frostbite, from just being ill with other illnesses, from yes. things weird things like carbon monoxide poisoning, which you wouldn't think of because you're cooking with on a petrol stove in a tent. Yes. Um, all, all of those, are, are, you know, the risks are, are higher if you're traveling on your own. Yeah. And, in a, and of course, if you're coming across crevasses, the, the rope that you tied to your partner or the rest of the team is the thing that makes it safe to cross. And if you're on your own, yes. you're, you're, you know, you're, you're making different decisions and having to be very cautious. But the, but the ultimate hazard is, you know, is, is there. I mean, you share the load literally in half, don't you? Yeah. If there, yeah. there are two of you. Yes. Um, I mean, the other big one is, is whether to go unsupported and unassisted, I think is the terminology that's used in Antarctica, um, which is sort of setting your own rule. But if you, you know, you, you can't <laughs> pop to the local shop for a pint of milk. I mean, but in Antarctica, you can't ring up and say, oh, what, my ski's broken. Can you please fix it? Can or can I have some medical supplies? Absolutely. So uh, un unsupported... The terminology is evolving, but unsupported really means setting off with everything you need at the beginning and accepting that you're not going to take anything else. And if yeah. you do need a resupply, then you lose your unsupported status and yeah. you'll become a, become a supported or resupplied yeah. expedition. Yeah. But then we start talking about contingency planning in a way. And as you say, sort of weighing off different risks. And, and, and um, the first one would be, you know, how many days do you plan on taking? And that has you know repercussions on how many much food mm. you're going to take and how much fuel you're going to take yes absolutely and if, if you look back to the 1990s when people first started doing doing these expeditions on these routes yeah you would say oh it's quite clear you need 60 days food to ski that route and 60 days food you know weighs weigh, weighs a lot more than, yeah. than 40 days food or yeah, 50 days food yeah. and so it took it takes courage to to, to take less, knowing that there is a benefit in, in you know, your sled will weigh less, you'll be able to ski a bit faster, you'll be able to go a little bit further every day, the whole expedition won't take as long. But getting that decision right it, for an unsupported expedition is, is, is really difficult because you want to have a little bit in reserve but you don't want to arrive at the pole with with ten days of uneaten food because it's just just dead weight. But you you know you, you didn't need to start with, and as you you know I think you, you, you well we'll ask we'll it. ask Wendy the question in a moment about how many days she planned on taking, um, and the next one was um, days spares. Where do you take spares if your kit is broken? Yes, absolutely. So this is a real trade off. If you can't if you can't eat it and you don't need it as fuel to you know then then when you want the, the pile of kit that you've got to take one sled two skis two boots you know um as small as possible and that means reducing to an absolute minimum things that you you would in normal life think are essential like spare underwear and and another you know a change of warm jacket and uh, an yes. extra pair of gloves you just got to be ruthless and leave all of those behind and take the absolute minimum and get that weight of spares and repair kit down to the smallest possible thing. And that again is a trade-off you're, you're on, on, on the likely on the risk of you know a failure. The, if you yes. if you break a ski, you probably haven't got a spare. You might have got a spare ski pole because they're you're more likely to bend one of those and they're really annoying if, you, if it's really yeah. bent. But yeah. uh, you know, you'll make difficult decisions. And if you're in a team, you've got a bit more spare capacity to carry you know a, maybe one spare ski between a group of you but if you're on your own you you're you finished if the ski breaks money. you're finished if you don't well you know your life isn't in danger ALE will come and come and either pick you up or or, or land beside you and give you a new one and you carry yeah. on but you've lost your the magical you know extra hard status of having done the un, yes. you know, of completing yes. the, uns, the unsupported expedition
And then there are decisions to make about um, kit, and that's very different in the Arctic than the Antarctic, isn't it? And from a project point of view, in, in, and it, it's really interesting because you can, uh, you know, as a kit list is several hundred items long, mm. and you can find out what works or what has worked and what most people do. But if you want to do bit better or you want to innovate and you want to go further or you want to you know, yeah. save a lot of weight on your sled because yeah. you weigh two thirds as much as the men who do it, then you need to innovate. And yeah. and then you're taking risks because you're taking you're probably doing something in a way that hasn't been done before, has been done very rarely. And again, you're you're adding risk in order to to gain a benefit. And that's why it's, you know, the, 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 all this project planning is is interesting and rewarding and and, you know, and and not and not straightforward yes and but incrementally sort of pushing the boundaries there so that you know there will be people who are big and burly who could learn from wendy and push it even further arguably well that's lovely wendy you were listening to all that <laughs> and i'm going to just quickly quiz you through it um we know solo we know uh, unsupported uh, how many days did you plan for i was really aiming straight out of the starting blocks to break the women's speed record that was the intention so that would have been 39 days so I took 42 days of food and when you are skiing it takes a, a little while for you to be hungry enough to eat the full calories that you would normally have on an expedition so I had a, a much lighter set of meals for seven days I then had my regular rations and then I had I think seven to ten days at the end probably might even have been five but um a much more stripped back lighter um treat free exhibition ration just just in case and i actually finished i was skied into pole with one chocolate pudding left um and that's partly because i had a big feast but um the, the day before but uh definitely on the on the food side and number of days there's, there's and with all of the things there's definitely a payoff between uh, risk and speed um and you know i i i got away with it i think and i i think the the planning thing is so critical, I, but, but I, I think I had three key elements that were that contributed to my success. One was the meticulous planning and preparation. Mm. Two was really the mentoring I had from all sorts of people, including Steve and Louis. And three, they, I had a healthy dose of luck as well. And I think, you know, the, they always say that the two things that stop Antarctic expeditions are money and weather. And I was really fortunate that, you know, certainly for the first half of the expedition, the weather was incredible two hot some days if I dare say that and the second half was less good but still not bad in a way that halted my progress I take my hat off to you I just think that's extraordinary and and, and luck that is not luck <laughs> you know that is sheer dogged determination um extraordinary absolutely lovely I'm determined to get through these did you take spares I did take a range of spares. I actually took two sets of skis, which uh, is a decision I was really happy about at the end of the day, because you can have full skins, which helps you to climb and not lose too much grip. And then half skins, you can go a bit faster. So I wanted that choice. And I also wanted, you know, if I was going to have, if I was going to have a binding issue, if my ski was going to break, then there, there were my spares mm -hmm. ready and waiting. And I, I really only used those, that first set of skis for the first five, six, seven days. And then one day when it was the, con the, the, the conditions underfoot were quite difficult and I gave them a try, but it was, it was hopeless. But having them there was a bit of a comfort. They were yes. a bit of a pain to sit on top of the, the pulk, the sled every single time. And what 
you know how many minutes I might have gained by not having to reattach them every time who, who knows but, but for me that was a good decision and I think the the only thing that I took that I really shouldn't have bothered was uh, earplugs so I don't think I could have saved much weight on reflection did I hear that right earplugs so I took earplugs the idea being that you can block out the terrible wind noise and get a good night's yes. sleep but they'd I, they'd just fall out of my ears and I'd be kind of yes. looking around my sleeping bag for them and it was just yeah pointless pointless if the wind's going to blow the, the, the earplugs aren't going to stop you hearing that yes. but, but, but Wendy also you think of the weight of you, you know satellite communications <laughs> and skis and you're talking about two little tiny earplugs <laughs> which... well when you think about the weight that I tried to shave off so Steve asked me you know did you have any innovations and I can't honestly think of any off the top of my head which is which is slightly sad but what I did have was marginal gains at every turn mm. so I cut my hair really short and it saved probably 30 grams maybe not even that Yes. Uh, I cut the labels out of all my clothes. I cut the yes. zips off uh, the tent where I didn't need them and replaced them with lighter cord. Um, I, I replaced my rope with lighter rope. And, you know, everywhere I kind of shaved a bit off here and that's there. And, and that's what made the difference. Yeah. Yeah. All and what that tells me that you, it's cutting up, you know, what you can cut a few labels out of your clothes and it's not going to make much difference. But it is a mindset that is I'm determined uh, yes. I'm approaching this with as much dedication and thoroughness as I possibly can. Yes. And the mindset of I'm this is someone who's determined and is going to do their very, very best. And that's that speaks a lot. And the last one, which, of course, Scott and Shackleton didn't have to be concerned about. And actually, we don't need now to get the South Pole. But that is around social media and communications with the outside world. Yes. Yeah, so any expedition traveling to Antarctica has 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 permitting and communicate and safety requirements to report in to a to a safety management provider in this case ALE um, mm -hmm. where they are and ALE's got responsibility for looking after not just Wendy but everybody else who's in Antarctica with them safety yes. so so there's a requirement to carry some equipment to be able to communicate with the outside world for both routine and emergency communications mm -hmm. but then if you want to tell your story and let your your stakeholders and your supporters and sponsors know how you're getting on then there's a there's really a time commitment and that's really the big thing that people often spend an hour a day typing up a blog on and and editing photographs and posting them via an extremely slow satellite link to the outside world yeah. and again it's, it comes back to being in a team if you're four of you it's fine one of you you know when the tent's up one of you can be melting snow and using the stove or cooking and somebody else can can be having a bit of a rest and somebody else can be typing up their blog but when you're on your own that's a really big issue that uh that you know you potentially spend an you might spend an hour but which is an hour you're not traveling and an hour that you're not sleeping or yes. cooking and melting yes. snow and those are the yes. three only the three things you need to do and yes. so finding an efficient way of perhaps reporting by voice and not by typing and things like that can yes. can get the information out there um, and mm. get the people at home to do or do as much of the posting for you is really a, a way of getting efficiency into it. Wendy, we did hear about your progress in the outside world. And I think that you, did you talk to your expedition manager to save time? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, um, and every, yeah, as well as save, trying to save weight, everything was about efficiencies. So I had my, my lighter to light my cooker in the same pocket every single time. So I always knew where to find it. So I didn't waste any energy that I could have spent or time that I could have spent sleeping, looking yeah. for things. It was, you know, that, that sort of anal, if you like, that particular. Um, so my, um, my call back to, I had to make a, a scheduled call back to ALE to tell them I was 
I was safe. And I think that, that was probably the most boring call of the day because they'd sort of say, how long have you skied for? And I'd say, well, between 11 and 12 hours, I've done 15 nautical miles, no gear issues, no medical issues. And that was kind of the, the end of it. But then I had to make another call back to the UK to, to update the blog um, so that everyone back home could see. And despite the fact that you think it's 42 days of white nothingness, every single day it was different. It's surprising mm-hmm. how it was so... Um, you know, you, and you could feel so good one day and without any rhyme or reason feel so, you know, just have such a bad day the next day. Um, yes. Even if you've made good progress, you know, even if the weather was good, you can still you could still feel a bit rubbish. But then the converse could be true. So so mm. the day that I uh, skied through a whiteout, pe- peering at my goggles with a really, you know, sore neck the entire day, I'd actually done quite a lot of miles by the end of it. Um, so and, and that made me feel a bit better so you know there's, it, it's definitely not a you start off happy and you get really unhappy you have sort of good days and bad days yes which is as life is and and Wendy I, I think we've learned so much here but I think the mindset and developing a degree of control over the highs and the lows when things are really difficult comes out very strongly and Mm. the sense of purpose that you talked about at the beginning and the authenticity of this project whatever it might be and how important that is um and steve thank you for endorsing all that um i mean i certainly learned i mean this granularity total dedication to the the planning and preparation you know Mm. another time maybe we talk more about the time you actually spent on the ice but we know it couldn't have happened without all that preparation beforehand Uh, and that really meant that when you're out there on the ice um, you know, clearly you kept going, it was incredibly hard work, um, but the preparation paid off um, and you were able to roll out. And <laughs> I love it that you rolled into the South Pole, you know, on your last chocolate treat and, and, and you know, a sled otherwise completely devoid of food. And that your only regret is that you carried a pair of earplugs that might otherwise have lightened the load. Um, I think that's a fantastic report. Um, I give you 99.5%, taking off 5%, 0.5% for your earplugs, but otherwise perfect, perfect implementation of strategy and wonderful, wonderful planning. Thank you for both of you for your input. Um, I hope we can hear more from both of you in time, but uh, how we can relate that to project mm. management in corporations I think has been incredibly valuable and thank you thank you very much thank you for having me thank you so much for joining today's episode of your strategy implemented and thank you Wendy and Steve for sharing with us the critical importance of planning to implement a modern polar expedition whilst not every project has to deal with sub-zero temperatures and looming crevasses there are clearly parallels here with the corporate world by approaching projects with the right mindset paying attention to the detail, considering all the trade-offs and risks. All of these decisions to be made before even implementation is underway, they can affect whether the project will be a failure or a success. Both Wendy and Steve have shown exemplary planning capability, which has paid off, enabling them to follow through and achieve their goals. Please do make sure to subscribe to our podcast series so that you never miss an episode. And to learn more about Scarbeck Associates and discover our latest insights, please visit our website, scarbeckassociates.com, or find us on LinkedIn and Twitter.